going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk, and to tonight's first five. If you're listening on Facebook Live, we always cut out at the end of each segment. We come back right at the beginning of the next segment. So when we cut out in six minutes, come right back after our break. I want to start tonight in the first five to talk about what you did not hear about this episode in New Mexico, in Amalia, New Mexico, where a local sheriff executed a search warrant on a compound I have so much to tell you about this story, I can hardly stand it. And you should be very concerned about the fact that you don't hear the kind of things I'm about to tell you. As you may know, a week ago Friday, so August 3rd, a a New Mexico sheriff, uh, he had a search warrant, and he executed a search warrant on an, an Islamic terror training and human trafficking camp. That's what that place was. It was not a camping trip. It was an Islamic terror training and human trafficking camp. There were five adults, 11 emaciated, starving children at this camp. The children had been at this camp learning, being trained, just like you see those idiotic videos from the Middle East where you have young children being trained to be jihadists. This is what was happening at that training camp in New Mexico. On top of that, the Clarion Project, brilliant, and I urge you to go to their website and read their stuff, Clarion Project reports, there are estimates as high as 29, likely 29, jihadi training camps on American soil already right now. At this particular one, the reason it came to the attention of the sheriff was a the man, the basic guy there who was uh, the head of it all, had kidnapped his own son from his wife. This guy is a, named uh, Siraj Wahaj, 39 years old, kidnapped his own son from his wife in um, Georgia, took this son who is, has an extremely cha- had an extremely challenging medical problem, this dad took the son across country. The mother reports saying he took my kid. He is not coming back. She's filed for a divorce. So off they go across country, ended up in this town, Amalia, New Mexico, where there's a compound. Five adults were arrested by when the uh, sheriff finally went in. The five adults were Lucas Morton. Uh, that's the one guy uh, who also has a big part in this story. Uh, Janie or Janie Laville. And then two other women, Hujra Wahaj um, and Subhana Wahaj. Three of them are siblings. The main guy, Siraj Wahaj, along with Subhana Wahaj and Hujra Wahaj are siblings. Their dad is an imam in one of the most famous and radical mosques in the United States of America in Brooklyn, a, a dad by the same name, the imam of the, by the same name. I'll tell you some facts which you have not heard. Just simply unbelievable. Okay, to start with, this property, this compound, was actually on property sold by some local people in the area. A local couple, Jason and Tanya Badger, sold land to Lucas Morton 
uh, last year, and he wanted to build this this compound there. So this kid was uh, kidnapped from Georgia, taken across country. They're already at the compound area in late December of 2017. Been there all this time. Neighbors reporting that at this compound, they're hearing gunfire, a lot of gunfire. This woman, this couple who sold the land to Lucas Morton, realized after he built the compound that he didn't know where the property was. He built the compound on their property, that, that he didn't own the property he built it on. It was a, a radical terrorist training camp set up, underground tunnels of 150 feet in length, allowing them to escape, carved out areas to sleep in the tunnel, a, 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 a trailer-type thing to live in that was half submerged underground and covered with plastic. They had tire, they had, it was, it was a, in a wide open area, a 10-acre area of land, wide open and surrounded by, it was a, it was a compound, it was to keep people out. So the sheriff gets a message. From, so backing up, the couple who sold the property to them, Jason and Tanya Badger, contacted the FBI in either late April or early May and said, A, we've seen this kid here. We know who this kid is. This kid's been kidnapped by his dad. He's right here. We can see him. Number two, these are and these, the FBI was aware at that time that this was an Islamic, a, and, and their word was a radical Muslim training area. The FBI knew that in May. So this couple calls and says, hey, and the kid is here. They, they've seen the kid in the property. Other people saw the kid in the property. And the couple who actually owned the property because they, it wasn't built where it was supposed to be gave the FBI permission to go into the property to find out what was going on. The FBI would not move on it. They sat it on it. They studied it. They sent in the husband of this couple. You know, knowing these are radical Islamic jihadists, they sent in the husband of this couple with a, a camera to try to record what's going on. So the young boy, to, make, to give him some identity, Abdul Ghani Wahaj, kidnapped from his mom. You know, in fact, the day his remains were found on this property would have been his fourth birthday. The guys, the dad's not giving him the medical attention he needs. The FBI's known for months, doesn't do anything. They're watching, they're waiting. And then finally, the one of the sisters in the compound, one of the sisters of the main bad guy, put a Facebook message out to a friend of hers in Georgia and said, literally, we are starving to death. We have no food. We need food. We need water. The friend in Georgia that this sister who's stuck in the compound, the friend in Georgia sent the message to the imam dad in Brooklyn, the radical Islamic imam in, in Brooklyn, who did notify the authorities. So he tells, the sheriff finally has information, and he basically said, I can't wait for the FBI to do their job. I have starving children in this compound right here on New Mexico property. So they, so the sheriff, by the way, had this, um, okay, folks, I'll tell you the rest of the story after the break. Debbie George Asmer, can we talk? Come right back. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. 
Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. 
If you're watching on Facebook Live, you're probably thinking, this doesn't look like your studio. I will tell you that I'm doing this show from California, and I'm impossibly grateful to Salem for arranging this for me to do in California. I have Kevin Campbell here in the station in Oxnard, California, pushing buttons and smiling and helping me. It's really, really grateful. And Greg Lindemood in Dallas, who's in Irving, actually Salem Studio in Irving, helping to do this. Uh, the last segment went long because I have to play with, I don't have my usual clocks here, so I'm trying really hard to uh, do what I'm supposed to do. Anyway, I I want to finish some points, though, about what happened in New Mexico, because a small point I want to make is about the media. You saw more headlines in the media that were describing extremist camp or compound camp. Very few, if any, media outlets would report the truth that this was an Islamic effort, one of numerous jihadi training camps in America with small children being trained, according to the kids' testimony, being trained to do a school shooting. A school shooting. In fact, the reason we know about this is because in New Mexico now they have court documents. The, the actual uh, search happened in um, last Friday, August 3rd, the very next Wednesday or so. The court documents were filed and reporters finally could see what, what, was, what was occurring. I want to hit a couple other points. The media orientation to deny what this what this was and the connection to one of the most radical I'm gonna read you about this dad imam in Brooklyn in a moment. I'm gonna to read to you more about him. But it's just it, what, what kind of guy this was. I want you to picture if it was, for example, a tea party or a radical white supremacist group, you would have headline after headline describing who the group was, what the problem was. But because it involved Islamic extremists, you barely saw that. The media, even on television, trying to describe this story, they, ha- they kind of half-whispered in the microphone and said, well, it might have been something about Islam. We don't really know. You know and, uh, but I want to finish this back to the FBI. The FBI had permission from the actual owners of the property to get in there in uh, late April, early May, and they didn't do it. They still hadn't done it by last Friday. In the interim, this young boy died. This young man who, uh, you know, he would, as I say, his body was discovered when he, on the day he would have turned four, his dad having kidnapped him last December. So the young boy died and was buried on the property. The kids were starving in Maciej. They were describing, the rescuers describing that they had their ribs showing like you would if you came and rescued someone from a, you know, a, a just, you know, a prisoner of war camp. Okay, so that's bad enough. But I want to mention some of the things about the FBI. You may recall, because we've talked about in this show in the past, that in the year 2011, under President Obama, the national uh, agencies, the, the training manuals for military, the FBI, the CIA, all the training manuals that are used to train our federal law enforcement level people were purged of any reference to Islam. Think about, the, the, you know, if you ask me the three threats facing America, you know, you have uh, socialism, huge threat. We'll talk about that in a minute. You have Islamism, this is this Islamist, uh, at, you know, action all over the world, including in America. Second, you know, huge, huge challenge in America. And the third one I'll leave for another time. But right now, this idea that in an era when you had, we had the 2001 terror attack here, we have uh, terror attacks happening all over Europe in 2011, under President Obama's direction, all training manuals for federal law enforcement officers purged any reference to Islam. And I'm going to say, I'm not saying that maybe everybody in the FBI involved couldn't, I mean, they knew this was an Islamist extremist camp because they told the sheriff that. 
The sheriff knew that because the FBI told him. But they didn't go in. And you have to ask yourself how much of the mentality that pervaded the uh, decision-making in the highest levels in Washington made its way down into the field offices. So where there was a second, third, and fourth thought given to the idea are we going to go after and, and, and you know, are we going to be double, triple, quadruple sure before we ever do anything, take any action that may somehow cause Islamists to uh, look bad in our country? I mean, I think it's an astonishing thing. One of the little factoid before I get to who the dad was, the imam, and so the people who own the property, the uh, husband and wife who actually own the property, so the FBI finally, I mean the sheriff's office, finally executed a search warrant. They rescued the kids. They arrested all five adults, now all being held on at least charges of, of child abuse and child endangerment. You know, no stories yet I've seen about who these 11 kids, like who are their parents, who gave did they give permission for the kids to go there? These kids, you know, nothing about that is even there, which I, I think is an astonishing detail that you would think. I hope the you know newspaper uh, people in the world would track down the the actual alleged investigative journalists. But the two owners of the property, this couple, Jason and uh, Tanya Badger, went into the property on Sunday, two days after the the um, you know the search warrant's been executed, the sheriff is long gone, and found in that property where they had made the arrests, they found ammunition, weapons. They found um, uh, protective vests, they, you know, vests to, so that, you know, bulletproof type vests. They found laptops. I, I mean, are you kidding me? The evidence you would need that certainly if these two found it, certainly one of the unindicted co-conspirator types from back in 1993 or some other person could have gone in and taken all this evidence away. And I'm not really blaming the sheriff. I mean, he was trying to rescue. His job was because he had a search warrant to say we think kids are being starved to death and so we need to go rescue them. He didn't have a search warrant of the kind the FBI should have gotten to get all information related to the terrorist conduct occurring there. Just an astonishing story, and I think you just have to lay some of this inaction, indecision, failure to act responsibly with the FBI at the feet of the Obama-era people who spent so much time trying to convince America that there was no danger from Islam. And speaking from danger, about danger from Islam, the dad on the... Um, uh, the the uh, father of the main guy who is arrested at this compound, the father of the main guy, uh, has the same name as his son, Imam Wahaj. Uh, he is a um, he he's a, was a national a nation of Islam minister. Uh, he left that to head up. He now heads up uh, the uh, North American Muslim Association. Also heads up one of the most radical mosques in Brooklyn. His, his mosque is, is considered extremely radical. He's nationwide known as a radical Islamic um, uh, imam. He uh, testified, he, he was an unindicted co-conspirator, the dad of the guy arrested in New Mexico, who runs is an imam in Brooklyn, was an unindicted co-conspirator in the 1993 Trade Center bombing, meaning they know he was involved, but too many people were involved, they didn't prosecute them all, in fact, they planned to prosecute them all, and they didn't get around to that under the Obama administration, but, so he's an unindicted co-conspirator, and then on top of that, he testified, okay, the main you know, orchestrator, organizer of the entire 1993 World Trade Center bombing uh, was someone who can be known as the Blind Sheikh. He's the one who orchestrated, planned it all, executed it all. This dad, the imam in Brooklyn, he testified as a 
character witness for the blind sheikh in the 1993 Trade Center bombing. I mean, just put that together. That should be in your head when you're the FBI. Who is this guy? Who is this guy that we have out here in, in New Mexico? And who is his dad? But somehow you can't put the pieces together if it involves possibly critiquing someone who might claim and scream Islamophobia, mistreatment, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so this is that story in New Mexico. More will come of it. I certainly hope we can get eventually a story about what it was that, um, that uh, who, where these kids came from. But the failure of the me- the big, I think, takeaways from the story are the FBI was not going to do their job, and the media just worked as hard as they could to deny the obvious reality, which is uh, this had to do a lot with radical terrorism, training young people to... Um, to do, engage in school shootings, neighbors reporting gunfire, people seeing this kidnapped child and reporting the FBI, and nothing was done. And, then, and so, you know, I don't know if he, what the young child's problem was. Maybe he wasn't, you know, maybe he's extremely unhealthy, but still he suffered because of the inaction on the part of the FBI. Okay, we only have, um, I guess, like a minute left in this segment, but I want to just, what I want to touch on this segment, and I'm just going to do it very briefly, is there were elections this past week, and uh, among the uh, kind of good news elections, I think it has a lot for it to think about in terms of takeaways was um, in the state of Michigan, there was a primary between two Republicans to become the candidate to become, uh, to run for U.S. Senate in the fall um, against the incumbent um, whose name is, I always lose her name, Debbie Stabenow. The point, the thing I wanted to hit just briefly in this segment about how great this was, was that the Trump-endorsed GOP primary candidate was named, is named John James, and he ran in a GOP primary, Republican primary, against a guy named Sandy, it's a man, but named Sandy, Sandy Pensler, an older white guy. So Trump chose to endorse the young black guy, very impressive candidate, against the older white guy, which I think flies in the face of all this Trump is racist stuff, and the guy won. Now, look, he's in a, he's in a point that she's up, she's, he's running in a state where Debbie Stabenow's up like 18 points or something ridiculous. He's got an uphill battle ahead, but I love the story that Trump got behind this guy. Okay, we're going to zip off to break in 10 seconds here. Coming back, we're going to change subjects to the California wildfires and the real cause, and Chuck DeVore is going to join us. So come right back. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. If you are listening to America Can We Talk, you know that my show is dedicated to preserving the exceptional idea that is America. I want to take a minute to tell you what I mean by that. Unlike almost every other country on the planet, America's culture, our very identity, has nothing at all to do with ethnicity, race, or national origin. Instead, America is all about ideas, including the most basic idea that each of us, simply because we were born has the God-given right to live out our individual version of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness within the guardrails of the Constitution and our laws. Preserving this requires patriots in every American generation to grasp the importance of this truth, to recognize and fight back against the subtle and not-so-subtle relentless attacks on American liberty, and to speak up for and defend the unique culture of American-style liberty. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. They're nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, folks, I have to tell you, if you're listening on Facebook Live, I'm getting texts, and I appreciate that, people texting me that the sound wasn't good. I hope you can't. We're, you know, we're working on this because we're in California, so it's so appreciate. If you want, if um, people who were texting me, if you let me know the sounds a little bit better, I'd appreciate that because you do not want to miss this interview. So coming up right now, I believe we have online, or I hope we do, because <laughs> I'm sitting in California, and my happy friend Greg is uh, helping from, um, uh, from uh, our studio in Irving. But here's a quick story. We're in California right now, and we're blessed that we are First of all, not to make you feel guilt or bad or sad or anything in Texas, but it is so cool where we're staying. We need sweatshirts during the day. Okay, I'll, I'll just drop that out there. But 
you know, California is has a huge, huge problem with wildfires, and there have been some a lot of statements out by politicians, elected officials, um, just kind of taking stabs at President Trump as though somehow either caused the wildfires or uh, his policies are. Uh, in some way making them worse or, you know, even worse, I guess they might argue that, you know, he was um, insensitive in the way he spoke about them. So we have an expert joining us. We have on the line Chuck DeVore, and uh, he happens to be a friend. He's with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, but he's also, um, he, so he's based in Texas now, but he was formerly a, um, a representative in California, in the state legislature in California um, from 2004 to 2010. Um, and he, during that time, actually did research and learned about what the actual experts in forestry say about fires, vulnerability to fires, how to prevent wildfires from becoming big and large, actual policies instead of the um, um, accusatory global warming type, uh, type accusations. So I want to have him share with you. He wrote a great piece in Forbes. It will be up on our website, americacanwetalk.org. But I believe we have Chuck DeVore online. Hi, Chuck. <laughs> I'm well. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. You know, this is a, a an insane issue where you have major newspapers like the L.A. Times and the Sacramento Bee and Governor Jerry Brown and Congressman Ted Lieu and everyone out there saying that these big fires are the result of global warming and it's only going to get worse. And the thing that I find just incredible is that back in 2005, when I was a freshman lawmaker, I had the chance to go up to the Klamath area up by Mount Shasta and get a a several-days-long briefing by the forest management professionals. And they were warning us that this was coming, in other words, this being very intense, hard-to-control wildfires, and they said it was coming because it was becoming increasingly more difficult to do uh, active forest management on public lands. About 60% of California's forests are controlled by uh, government entities. And if you're not allowed to get in there and thin and clear the underbrush and uh, deal with the fuel load buildup, then when a fire happens, it's going to be really, really hot and really tough to control. So what you're describing, because I, you know, you're talking about kind of preventative clearing. Is that is that a good term? Preventative well, it, clearing. It, there's a whole bunch. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things that go into this. Uh, first of all, uh, American forests, because we've really stopped managing our forests often have as many as 100 trees per acre. And the standard out in Europe, where you have a very active forest management, especially in Germany, where they've been doing this for hundreds of years, the standard is about 40 trees per acre. So first of all, wow. it's the thinning. You've got you to pull some of the trees out so the remaining trees can be more healthy and grow more vigorously, especially if, uh, if you have a dry year. The second thing is the underbrush. Uh, the problem that you have when you stop managing the forest and you stop doing controlled burns, which have been highly discouraged under uh, liberal policies that say, no, you can't manage these forests, is that you get a very thick tangle of brush that burns hot enough that it catches the higher branches of the tree on fire, especially if those branches haven't been burned off by prior uh, smaller fires or trimmed off by people. And then that allows the fire to get to the tops of the trees and then spread very rapidly through the forest. And the thing I think a lot of people don't appreciate, especially if, if they have kind of this vague, warm and fuzzy feeling toward forests and they really haven't been taught about them, is that if, uh, if you look at California before it was settled by Europeans, 
the uh, Native American tribes were very diligent in constantly burning the forest back because, uh, for example, deer need open land to graze. Uh, and a thick forest really doesn't produce much uh, food uh, that you can eat. And so what's really fun is uh, there was a book uh, about the early days of photography that looked at various vistas in California uh, on the dawn of photography. We're talking the 1850s, 1860s, 1870s. And consistently the views in northern California and along the west uh, edge of the Sierra Nevada was of vast open areas of grassland with a few pockets of pine trees or oak trees. And then uh, the author of this book went to the same exact spot 50 to 100 years later. And what you saw is thick trees everywhere because uh, when uh, Europeans, when Americans settled uh, California, uh, they thought, well, we need to suppress these fires because the fires burn up our houses and it burns up a valuable commodity, timber, right? So they started to suppress the fires and they started to harvest the timber. Well, the harvesting slowed down and in some areas stopped. And the, the fires, the uh, preventative fires, were stopped as well. I just find that so astonishing. You know, the book you're mentioning, in fact, I want to tell our listeners again, this, we're speaking with Chuck DeVore from the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and the book that he was, his article from Forbes magazine is called California's Devastating Fires Are Man-Caused, but not in the way they tell us. The book you're talking about is this, is this George Gruel, or Gruel, G-R-U-E-L-L, is a wildlife biologist. You know, I love the information that he's providing. And, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing because the people who are most upset and trying to blame, um, you know, man are really the ones causing the problem. I mean, they're, they're the ones who have, who have um, not wanted to kill any trees, so they don't have, I, I wrote down the word you used, but anyway, they, they don't want to cut, they don't want either thin trees to allow a few of them to be healthy, and they don't want to thin the underbrush so their forestry practices have actually contributed to a more dangerous fire situation. Is that fair? They, they absolutely have. And, and let me bring you, your listeners in on another great irony. Is Up and down the state of California, there used to be biomass uh, plants that generated electricity, uh, frequently with farm waste uh, and more frequently with the, the underbrush cleared from forests and the wood chips and things like that. Well, as time went on and the uh, amount of underbrush slowed down or stopped because of liberal environmental policies, uh, there was less fuel to fuel these biomass plants. In addition, the cheap subsidized solar power, uh, the power companies would rather buy that, uh, and then that uh, prevented the people who were using these biomass plants from selling the electricity into the grid. And so then what happened was, Instead of being uh, burned up in a controlled manner in a biomass fuel plant that generated electricity for the benefit of people, instead of that, we get these really hot fires that burn so hot that they burn up a lot of the uh, mass of, of uh, plant matter that's on the ground. And so studies have been done by people concerned about global warming that when this happens, more carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere, far more by these uncontrolled burns than had been the case before when the fires were burned in these biomass plants. 
You just, I mean, if you wrote a script to try to point out the silliness of some of these environmental policies, you couldn't do a better job. I mean, I really think, and I, I want, I got to hit something. I know that you don't, um, this isn't necessarily a political conversation. It's about a policy and about making policies that actually keep our forests healthy and safe and reduce, either reduce the creation of fires or reduce the extent of the damage of fires. But there was a uh, tweet by Adam Schiff, who happens to represent one of the districts in here in California, um, who said, uh, basically was attacking and, and blaming President Trump for the, um, he said, you've been in office 18 long months and you still don't have a, a clue. Environmental protections have nothing to do with the wildfires in California. Climate change does. Okay, so, so Adam Schiff needs to read your article, I think. Well, he's 100% wrong because uh, the people who manage forests for a living warned about exactly this happening Clear back in around, I think it was 2004 or 2005, in a report that they authored that was issued by the Western Governors Association, which explained in very careful detail exactly the problem that we are facing today. And what I find very disingenuous is that even if you believe that man-caused global warming or climate change is a huge issue, even if you believe that, the solution to protect our forests is the same as if that it wouldn't be happening. In other words, you need to, to thin the forest. You need to engage in active removal of the fuel uh, from the forest areas so that you don't get these really hot fires that burn out of control. One more fact for your listeners. If it's uh, about five uh, seconds, go ahead. Congressman Ten Lu incorrectly said the, the number of fires is increasing. It's not. It's decreasing in the West, the frequency Chuck- of fires. <laughs> Chuck DeVore, you are just awesome. This is Chuck DeVore, Texas Public Policy Foundation. I urge you to read his article at Forbes. And Chuck, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you. Okay, folks, we'll be right back after the break. Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. 
If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I believe we have a sound problem fixed on Facebook Live. Thanks for they're hanging in there. And then I want to just take a moment. First of all, I'm so grateful to be able to do this show from California. I'm actually out here, I swear, mostly working, but it's great to be out here. I'm grateful for, um, for Salem making it possible. I also want to take a moment to thank the stations that carry our show. I just love, love, love talking to you every Sunday evening, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time on 660 a.m. in Dallas. I love our Dallas listeners. Also so appreciative for Colorado Springs, a.m. 1460 and FM 11.1, The Answer. And um, they're just a, a great audience and want to greet you and thank you for listening. I also want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this show. My show, America Can We Talk, couldn't do it without our sponsor, which is called GC Works. They're a Dallas-based company. They perform research in advanced technology and deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. 
grateful to them. And I'm also grateful, I will tell you, grateful for the opportunity to have an, to just to talk with you uh, once a week. I, I would do it more if it were available, but once a week is good with me, to talk with you about my passion in life, which is to speak up for and preserve the extraordinary, exceptional idea that is America. All the stories I talk about, whether they are political or policy, they're always, they, they are rooted in the idea that it is absolutely incumbent on every generation of Americans to preserve this country, to feel like it's our job to preserve liberty in, in our time and to, and to solve the issues we face while holding on to liberty. Uh, Islamism, the, the threat of radical Islam, is a huge challenge facing America. It's a disaster that the FBI let this situation sit at, at least and since, since April, and now we're in August before the raid finally occurred. And, and really, I... I have to believe that or I'm concerned that among the main reasons there was not a willingness to become more um, active and more and intervene sooner in this Islamic extremist camp, um, compound in New Mexico was because of all of the political correctness that has pervaded thinking in our country related to dealing with the threat of radical Islam. So and a forestry policy, love, we have, you know, the environmental, politically correct, environmentally correct decisions that, as you just heard from our expert Chuck DeVore, have actually contributed to the number and intensity of fires. You got to get that straight. Climate change has nothing to do with the fires that we are seeing uh, in California, and they are devastating. But environmental, you know, whatever you think they're the nicest people in the world and they care about, you know, the environment and all that environmental silliness where we don't do we don't clear trees we don't clear underbrush we just let things uh, nature take its course results in devastating consequences loss of human life loss of homes loss of entire communities danger to firefighters i mean there's just there's no excuse for humoring environmentally correct people when the when when we could have had a safer environment by engaging in well-known forestry practices that have been understood for decades frankly as he was pointing out understood by the native americans who who understood you had to do that before the american system was put in place there okay I want to turn though and just talk to you about something that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that um, this um, there were elections on um, earlier this week, several different elections, and a bit of good news. I almost feel like I have to retract something I said, but there was a socialist woman, um, Alexandria. Um, Ocasio-Cortez, who won this primary in New York. She's an outspoken socialist. I mean, literally, she is a socialist with with no. Um, you know, no apology, no um, hesitancy, no embarrassment. I'm embarrassed to say that. So the good news of the elections was that of this past week that she endorsed several candidates in Democrat primaries. She went around to find the most radical, the most leftist candidate in various primary races around America. And I'm happy to report to you that all of her endorsed candidates lost. So what I'm saying I'm retracting is maybe she won't be as persuasive as I am. I'm still concerned she's persuasive, but she had a really bad track record this last week. That was good. But on a more serious note, I wanted to, you know, so Ocasio-Cortez is out there just you know, touting her, uh, the beauty of socialism. It's a great thing. And, you know, she, I, I have a different analogies about it. But, you know, this, I want to point out, this is a woman who went to Boston University or Boston College, one of the two. She went to school in Boston she majored, you should be sitting down, majored in economics and international relations, and she's running on a flat-out, 
It is like, I mean, my, my picture of her is like the five-year-old who cries on Christmas morning because I didn't get a pony. And everyone should get a free pony because I want a free pony. So get, this is the mentality. Everything people need should be free. And don't worry, rich people or the government or somebody's going to pay for it. Just childish level comprehension of economics. I mean, her university should consider taking her diploma back. But Moving forward, I want to share with you that um, there was actually a challenge issued to her by Ben Shapiro, you know, who's a conservative commentator. And um, he issued a challenge basically saying, let's discuss, um, let, let's debate socialism. Let's debate your agenda. Let's debate the policies. You know, what is it you believe in? So he, he issued a challenge and he said if she would agree to debate him, if she would agree that he would donate $10,000 to her political campaign or to a charity of her choice. So he's really putting her in the spot because, you know, her, she, ha- she lives in 100% friendly media world. She's surrounded by drooling, ignorant voters who think, yes, she can give everything free. She can make college free and housing free and food free and everything's free. Healthcare is free. This is what, this is kind of her message, vote for me. And, you know, it's really, as I point out last week, a dangerous message because it really goes to the question of, you know, what happens if you have 435 Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez members of Congress who think their job is to pass policies that take away uh, what everyone else has earned to give free things to everyone, which is kind of where her head is. But Ben Shapiro issued this challenge to her, you know, asked about a debate, $10,000, the officer. Her answer, her first answer was she tweeted back just this is her. And as someone pointed out, she probably didn't have a really good English professor in college, but I digress. Okay, just like catcalling. I don't owe a response to unsolicited re- solicited requests from men with bad intentions. And also, like catcalling, for some reason, they feel entitled to one. Okay, so this is just, you know, I mean, the, my grandmother was an English teacher, so I could dissect those two sentences, which a fourth grader should actually be better at um, writing. But anyway... That was her answer. She won't debate him because she she analogizes the request for an interview uh, or a debate with Ben Shapiro to catcalling. So, I mean, you know, it's stupid, but okay. She's, she knows she could not possibly handle a debate with someone who had their facts straight. So then, uh, following up on that, then um, the Candace Owens uh, person who is affiliated with um, Charlie Kirk and his, I uh, can't think of his name, his organization, but... Turning Point, yeah. Thank you very much. Turning Point USA. They offered, uh, Al- the, um, there was actually an offer from them saying, okay, well, if you don't want to debate Ben Shapiro, you know, how about me? Debate me. I will do it. And actually, Ben Shapiro had a great tweet, uh, a comment, a response back. He said, discussion and debate are not, quote, bad intentions. Slandering someone as a sexist catcaller without reason or evidence does demonstrate cowardice and bad intent, however. So he responds that to her. Well, then Candace Owens got in the middle and said, okay, well, you know, you can't accuse me of sexism. How about me? I'll, I'll, I'll debate you. I mean, so she asks for a debate. Um, she urges a debate and volunteers uh, more money. So, you know, Ocasio-Cortez, my point is she's trapped. She actually is smart enough to realize she has absolutely no idea what she's talking about. None. And so the next thing happened, Katie Pavlich, an editor at Town Hall, Fox News contributor, author, brilliant. She tweeted to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, okay, fine. 
and her uh, her Twitter handle is at Ocasio2018. If you want to debate at Ben Shapiro because he's a man and because he would destroy you intellectually, how about a debate with me? And so now at this point, Alexandria um, Cortez is a... Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not responding. And then um, Candace Owens offered one. In fact, Turning Point USA said, we'll up it. We have donors now who go to $100,000 to your favorite charity if you'll sit down and debate Candace Owens on policy, on substance. And, and you know, Alexandria could have nothing to do with that. Also, um, Allie Beth Stuckey, fab, you've been on the show before, used to be my, my Millennial Roundtable. She's now with Conservative Review. She tweeted... If a man asking Ocasio 2018 to debate is catcalling, what was it when I asked? And other women, I'm sure, have also asked. I would love to discuss her claim that Jesus was a socialist, or is that mean? So that was um, Ali Bestucky tweeting. So the point is, I think this is extremely healthy in our country that this, this you know, leftist media drool fest all over Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this just celebration of her brilliance and her, she's so lovely and she's so smart, is being challenged by smart people because they're putting the lie to her policies. They're putting the lie to the fact she has absolutely no idea what she's talking about and she knows it. She actually knows she can't handle a debate with someone who can speak about economics substantively. Okay, folks, I cannot believe this first hour race by so quickly. I'm Debbie Georges. This is America. Can we talk? Come back after. Oh, oh no, we have. Okay, well, you know what? This is my problem dealing with. A, I have two more minutes. What are you talking about? I don't have to shut up yet. Okay. I still have two more minutes. Okay, this is a problem when we're dealing with long distance, but I am thrilled to death that, that she's being challenged. I think she'll never answer because she, she doesn't want to answer. She doesn't think she should have to, and she doesn't know what it is she wants to talk about. So she's, you know, she just ends up looking uh, foolish and silly. The last thing I want to quickly mention that happened this week that I loved was I mentioned in my podcast on Wednesday, and by the way, if you're listening on Facebook or even if you're listening on radio, I do a podcast every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central time on my Facebook page called America Can We Talk. And on that podcast, I do a deep dive into some issue. Well, this week, I'm going to do a deep dive into where we are on the Mueller investigation and what has been uncovered. I, I can't even begin to summarize, but I want to give you that plug for Wednesday. And then one last thing, back to Candace Owens, which has been really great. Candace Owens pointed out that she feels like stars like the LeBron James, you know, fabulous basketball star. No one's going to question that. And he provided partial funding for a new school uh, for underprivileged children in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. So... He was in media interviews related to the school taking shots at President Trump. And the beauty of what Candace Owens had to say essentially was, I wouldn't take anything away from LeBron James basketball, and I certainly would not and consider him, I wouldn't call him uneducated, uneducated, but I would call him ignorant. He, LeBron James, is being used by CNN and Don Lemon to attack Trump because he doesn't understand the economics. He doesn't understand the source of the problem he's trying to fix in Akron, Ohio. Candace Owens calling out LeBron James, his healthy discussion in America. I love it. Okay, now we're going to our top of the hour break. Debbie George American Can We Talk? We come back. We're going to go to our cruise through the news. Don't go away. <laughs> 